Welcome to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My name is Jonathan Edwards, and I serve as a pastor at the Grace Brethren Chapel located in Northwest Ohio. The goal of this podcast is to teach God's truth and how to apply it accurately to one's life so that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed as you contemplate God's word. Greetings, saints and fellow bond slaves of Jesus Christ. It's a joy to be with you again today, and I'm going to be discussing a topic that I think many of my younger listeners will be interested in hearing. And if you happen to be an older listener, maybe this is something that you could share with your your children who are of childbearing age. The topic that I want to discuss today concerns the issue of how many children should I have? How many children should I have? What is honoring to the Lord when it comes to family planning. And um, the reason for this topic today happens to be the fact that over the last number of weeks, my wife and I have just received several questions from some of our friends who are younger than us, some of our friends who are still in the um, family planning stage. And we've had to sit down and think through what to tell them from the scriptures. And to be fair, we've also spent a number of hours together as a married couple, talking through the biblical uh, principles and issues that led us to different conclusions regarding family planning and trying to find real guidance for what we should do as as Christian parents who want to honor the Lord in our marriage and in our family. So I think this topic is really important today because there is a, a secular movement, a secular perspective, and when I say secular, I mean non-Christian. It comes from a non-biblical worldview. The non-Christian secular perspective, uh, basically, that is promoted today would discourage young couples from having children or having too many children. And basically, by too many children, they mean more than one. So there is a movement to limit the number of children that a couple has to, like, one child. And if you're aware of world history, you know, within the past 40 years, the country of China tried to limit the, the population growth of their country by basically having the one-child policy by which any, every family, every married family, was only able to have one child and uh, abortion was rampant in China, and since men were much more valuable than women in their society, in their societal hierarchy, uh, there were a a number, just an untold number of young babies uh, who were in their mother's wombs who were aborted because they were female. There were a a number of young babies who were adopted uh, because they were female, and and there's a a real problem problem in China now due to this population control, and I believe the Chinese government has even backed off of the one-child policy at the present time. That being said, that was a forced governmental policy, but there is what we know of as the spirit of the age, and this is the, the way that people are thinking currently according to the lies that Satan has convinced them to believe. And the spirit of the age, the the lie of Satan right now is that the world is overpopulated and the world cannot sustain much more human life and human interference. And 
also that humans are not inherently any better than any other animal or plant or any other living creature on this earth. And, and therefore, the, the effect of that is that we should try to self-limit the population growth in the human race. This is what Satan is encouraging, self-limiting of the population growth of the human race. So I want to look at this particular issue from a biblical perspective and, and ask ourselves, does, does God have anything to say about how many children I should have? Are there biblical principles that would apply to me? And is, in fact, the world limited in the number of people that it can hold? So I guess I'm going to try to answer that from the perspective first of answering, should I even do family planning? Should I even do family planning? And I would say the answer is yes, you should do family planning. And the first step of family planning is to attempt to procreate. All right? The first step to family planning is to attempt to procreate. This is the first command that was given to our human parents all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, we find these words written, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created him. So we understand right off the bat that both men and women are made in the image of God and they share God's likeness and they have a purpose. They have a purpose to exercise dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing. So man has been given a, a, a special place by being made in the image of God. No other created being is like that. And man has also been given a special command to rule over the creation. Now, how is man going to exercise that rule over all of the creation? Well, God, God explains that in Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Those words, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, those are all what we call imperatives in the Hebrew language. They are commands. So this is a command from God to the first parents to be fruitful and multiply, which means they must procreate. They must attempt to procreate. God did not want his creation to be unfilled. He wanted mankind to procreate and then to spread out over the whole surface of the earth in order to properly exercise dominion over the creation that he made. Now, this happened uh, rather quickly after the creation of the world. So we have in Genesis 1 and 2 the explanation of God's creation of the world and all that is in it and the universe and the stars, etc., etc., Genesis chapter 2, we see the specific and direct creation of mankind and the commission that God gave to them. And at the end of Genesis 2, we see God bringing the man and woman together in a union that we call marriage. And the purpose of that union, number one, 
was so that there could be companionship between the husband and the wife. That is the one flesh union. And the second purpose of that is so that they could procreate and fill the earth and fulfill the command that God had given. And this happened uh, rather regularly, all from Genesis 3, Genesis 4, uh, Genesis 5, we find the record of man's procreation. And, and when we get to Genesis 6, 7, and 8, we see that man uh, at that time had sinned so grievously that God needed to judge them by wiping them off the face of the earth, and he sent a global flood to do that. Now, there was a man whose name was Noah, who was righteous in the eyes of God, who walked with God, and Noah and his three sons worked on building an ark, and this ark provided deliverance for Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, and representatives of every kind of animal that God had made. Now, the flood happened, okay? It was about 370-day event, 370, 371-day event. And after the flood, what did God say to Noah and his sons? Genesis chapter 9. What did he say to them? Let me read it to you. Genesis 9. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is God's command to mankind, that they be fruitful and multiply. So, if the objection that the secular mind raises is that, oh, the the world is overpopulated, God would have never given the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth if he thought the earth could actually be overpopulated. The issue that we face today with quote-unquote overpopulation is the fact that there are sinful men who are ruling different regions of the world, different countries, and these men, due to their sin and their greed and their corruption, do not appropriately share the resources that are available to their people. So it's not as if we have an overpopulation problem, rather we have a sin problem that has caused some to hoard resources and not to share those resources appropriately with others. Do I think that the earth could be overpopulated? No. I think that God has given us everything that we need on this earth to sustain life and to sustain an, an incredible population. Uh, this earth is extraordinarily fruitful. Even as it is under the curse of sin at the present time, this earth produces an incredible amount of food and shelter for the human inhabitants and the animal inhabitants of this world. So I believe that the first thing a young couple must consider is the command of God to be fruitful and multiply. This is your responsibility as a young couple. Now, we're going to take that command and we're going to add another principle to it, okay? And the second principle we're going to add to it is this. We are going to say from the scriptures that we can discern that God has commanded that we practice good stewardship over that which he has given us. All right, and this is evident. This is evident in the verses that we already read. God says that we are to exercise dominion and subdue the earth. That is a command for management. That is a command for oversight. That is a command to do what is appropriate in order to rule well 
in God's place visibly on the earth. So, so God is ruling sovereignly in heaven over the whole universe, over the whole world, over all the affairs of men. But God has granted some of his sovereignty. He has granted some of his authority to mankind. And he says to mankind, rule well in the area in which you live. Okay, now, I understand that we're not all politicians. Uh, we're not all um, rulers of civil authorities. But we, we do have a, a unit that we can rule, and that is the unit of the family. Every family is an autonomous unit. It is made up of a husband and a wife and their children. The husband is the head of the family. The husband is the leader of the family. The husband represents God to the family and the family to God. This is a critically important role. Notice in Genesis 2.24, the husband leaves his father and mother. So he moves out from under the authority of his father and he is joined to his wife, and he establishes a new authority. And so husbands, we have a responsibility to practice good stewardship over that which God has given us. We must practice good rule over that which God has given us. And so these uh, phrases, dominion, uh, exercise dominion, practice good stewardship, these are synonyms that describe all that we are to do in relationship to that which God has put in our possession or under our authority. I'm going to focus on the word stewardship because I think it's a good New Testament term, and I think in the age in which we live, it accurately encapsulates the management of both time, money, and material resources, okay? And you could even put in uh, spiritual resources as well, because I think there's an example in the New Testament of stewarding your spiritual resource as well. So the word steward means to exercise care and management over those things that have been entrusted to you. I believe, as I already mentioned, that this is an advancement of or the application of the second command that God has given to our first parents. We exercise dominion over the earth, Genesis 1, 28 and 29. And so to be a steward is to exercise care and management in a way that brings glory and honor to God. What is pleasing to God? Whatever is pleasing to God, that's what I should do. That's how I should exercise stewardship. Now, we find this word steward or stewardship used frequently in the New Testament, okay? And let me give you some of the different examples of how it is used. In 1 Corinthians 4-7, Paul says that he and his companions have a responsibility as stewards of the Great Commission. They have a responsibility to preach the gospel. That is what God has called them to do, and they will be judged on their stewardship of that task. In Titus chapter 1, verse 7, the word steward is used of pastor elders in the local church, and it is used to describe their responsibility to manage the church according to the truths that are revealed in the New Testament. It is imperative that pastors understand that they are under shepherds to the chief shepherd. So, myself as a pastor, I don't want to lead in a way that is inconsistent with Christ's teaching and Christ's direction for the local church. Therefore, I have a responsibility to manage the church well according to what Christ uh, has revealed in his word. 
In 1 Peter 4, verse 10, this word stewardship is used of believers as they exercise their spiritual gifts in the body of believers one to another. And so we can see just from these three examples that are specified in the New Testament, and there are others, I just didn't quote all of them, we can see from these three examples that the concept of stewardship is incredibly important to God, and therefore it should be incredibly important to Christians. Now you may be asking, well, I can see the stewardship of the gospel. I can see the stewardship of pastors in the local church. I can see the stewardship of believers exercising their use of spiritual gifts. But Pastor Jonathan, I don't see a direct command to married couples to practice stewardship over your family planning. I think if you're having that question, that's a fair point. And so what I'm going to say to you is that we discern truths from the Scripture that are both explicit, in other words, there are clear, explicit commands, like be fruitful and multiply, and then there are implicit truths. These are truths that are implied by the context of different passages, by the summary of the commands that we see. And I believe the command to practice good stewardship and family planning is an implied truth from the Scripture. Why? Because God expects us to practice stewardship in a number of other areas of life. God expects us to exercise dominion and rule in the areas of management that he has given to us. And so when it comes to family planning and how many children you're going to have, you should be practicing stewardship in your discussions about family planting or family planning. Christian couples must think carefully about what stewardship looks like within their home and what it looks like when they think about how many children could I have or manage well, right? Because stewardship is all about managing well. And so you should be saying to yourself, what am I capable of? What am I capable of? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit here about some of the limiting factors that would cause you to say, oh, I could have X number of children, or maybe I shouldn't have X number of children. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But to wrap up these first two principles, I would say this, based on what we've talked about from Genesis chapter 1 and the principle of stewardship that we find uh, enumerated in the New Testament, Christian couples have a responsibility to first attempt to have children, and second, to manage their households well for the glory of God. This is the summary. And these two things have to be true for every Christian, because I, I believe they're commands. They're taken directly from the Scriptures. So what are the limiting factors then? What are the limiting factors that would help you come up with a number, okay? Well, the first limiting factor is this. What can you reasonably steward, okay? What can you reasonably steward? Every married couple is going to have a different tolerance and ability and skill level when it comes to management. You should be realistic about your management capabilities when planning the size of your family. I'm not sure that it's honoring to God if you end up with five, six, seven, eight children if you're not really capable of devoting the proper amount of time to raising them according to God's instructions. There are some people who are really good at managing the quote-unquote chaos of children better than others. And so you have to know yourself, and you have to know what your limits are. 
And specifically, I think this comes down to dads. Dads, it is your responsibility from the scriptures to shepherd and to disciple your children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 10 and following talk about your responsibility to bring the word of God to bear upon the lives of your children, and you must be able to do that in a reasonable and consistent manner. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4, also discusses the importance of the father's role in child rearing, and here's what it says in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We often think about mothers being the primary nurturers and caretakers of children, and that is true. That is one of their primary roles and responsibilities. But look at this command. It's not given to mothers. It's given to fathers. And so, men, you need to understand what your capabilities and limitations are. Can you devote a significant portion of time to five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten children? Maybe you can, and God bless you, but maybe you can't, and it would be more honoring to God if you said, I can only have two children. I can't manage more than two. That would be dishonoring to God. It would be unfair to that third child. Now, could you make it work? Sure. Does God help us in our frailties and weaknesses? Of course he does. But I think this is a question that fathers need to realistically ask, what can I steward? And so it may be that husbands are the limiting factor on the number of children that a couple chooses to have. So we have, what can you reasonably steward? And then related to this is, what can you reasonably afford? I haven't met a single person who has told me that raising children is cheap. Everybody knows that raising children is expensive, okay? And as a family, you and your wife need to decide what are the financial resources that you have available to raise children. If you have six children, do you think that you could reasonably afford to feed them the appropriate nutrition? And and I'm not even, I don't even want to get into the issue of, is there a government program that would help me feed my children? I want I understand those things exist, but I'm leaving that out of this conversation. I want you to look at, hey, if it's just me and my wife, what can we reasonably afford? 1 Timothy 5.8 says this, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is, this is a serious statement. Husbands and fathers, you need to think about this. What can I afford when it comes to raising children? And, you know, it's not, it's, it's putting food on the table, it's clothing them, but it's also giving them some experiences that would help them grow and mature as adults. You know, you, I, I, there's not a command to give your children music lessons or to put them into sports. But those are things in our present culture that are very important for children to be a participator in. And so what can you reasonably afford? You need to think that through as you consider the number of children that you have. And if you're like, man, I I can't afford to have kids, you need to say, well, can I get a different job? Could I work more hours? 
Is there a way that I could better myself so that I could have the number of children that I really want and also give them the appropriate um, upbringing that would also honor the Lord? Now, having said all that, I want to point out that there is a, a very popular trend right now amongst millennials, of which I am an old millennial. I'm 38. I was born in 1985, so I'm, I'm definitely an older millennial. Uh, there's a trend amongst millennials and Gen Zers, that's the generation behind me, which says, I can't afford kids because they're too expensive. And so many millennials and Gen Zers are saying, I can't afford children at all because they're too expensive. But they say this and also live very, what I would consider, luxurious lifestyles. They want to live the luxurious lifestyles that their parents or grandparents are living by going out to eat a lot, by buying very fancy clothes or having brand new cars or having a, a really big house. They want to have this, what I would call, lifestyle inflation. And because they want that lifestyle inflation, they say, well, I can't afford to have children. I think that's the wrong attitude. I don't think that's an attitude that honors God. Couples should be willing to sacrifice certain luxuries in their own personal lives in order to have children. I know that if my wife uh, was on this program right now, she could talk about luxuries that she would like to have, but she has foregone because we want to spend money having our children do certain things. I could talk about different luxuries I would like to have, but I've foregone them because I think that it's more important to invest my time and financial resources into my children's lives at this point. You understand, hopefully, that you get your children for 18 years, maybe they stay a little bit longer, but you only have a very limited amount of time with them. I think about this right now, my youngest child is six, he's soon to be seven. So if he stays with us for 12 more years until he's 18, I'll only be 50 when he moves out, and that's my youngest child. And so, I'm thinking, well, what's the average lifespan? 76, 77? That means from 50 to 77, I will have probably more disposable income and free time to do the things that I enjoy doing. But right now, it's better for me to put those things aside. It's better for me to put those things on the back burner because I want to do the best that I can in managing my resources and stewarding them for the sake of my children. So, you really need to be very realistic and say, what can I afford? You may not be able to afford six children. You may only be able to afford two. However, we need to understand that the Lord does provide for us in ways that we can't see, and we need to make sure that when we're saying, I can only afford two children, we're, we're willing to sacrifice our own personal luxuries and comfort in order to afford those children. Okay, so here's the limiting factors. What can you reasonably steward? We talked about that. Number two, what can you afford? We talked about that. Number three, the third limiting factor is what health considerations do you have? We need to recognize that we live in a fallen world and that everyone and everything has been affected by the curse of sin. Your physical health your personal health and your physical vitality are certainly two of the things that have been affected by the curse of sin. And so we must recognize that there are numerous health issues that may prevent a couple from having children or even having more children. There are things like autoimmune diseases, cancers, obesities, other health issues 
that pop up, and I'm not going to try to make an exhaustive list, but you can understand what they are. These other health issues that pop up that would prevent you from even having children or from having more children, okay? I think that if you already have children, but your health would be at serious risk if you try to have more, that might be an indication to you that you should be content with what you have and you should not seek to have any more children. It's very important for children to grow up in a nuclear household with mother and father functioning uh, at the top of their game. Again, that doesn't always happen the way that you want it to, but you should try to do whatever you can to make sure that you and your spouse are in peak physical condition for raising children because it does. It takes time. It takes energy. You're going to lose sleep. You have to be on point when it comes to diet, exercise, sleep, all of those things you need to try to uh, focus on in your own personal life so that you can do well when it comes to raising your children. So I would say if you're somebody who has a health risk that might cause permanent damage to you, it might be better for you to decide, I, I, can't, I either can't have children or I'm going to be happy with the children that I have. Now, again, I can't answer for everybody individually. You have to think through these things and think about these issues in relationship to your own situation and in your own heart before the Lord. And one more topic that I want to bring up, and I'm somewhat hesitant to bring this up because it's a whole, it's a whole other subject, but I do want to say this briefly, that under health considerations is the broader category of infertility. And I, I'm not going to say too much about that right now because I think infertility and the treatments of infertility and what do we do about infertility, I think that deserves its own special podcast episode but I do believe that infertility is a health issue that could prevent one from having children or having more children. So this is the third limiting factor. What health considerations do you have? Finally, we're going to turn to a theological consideration, and that is this. We must recognize that children are a gift from God. God makes the womb fruitful, and God makes the womb barren. And God makes the womb fruitful and God makes the womb barren for his own specific purposes, some of which we may not understand this side of glory. There are some examples in the scriptures very well known of God making the womb barren for his purposes. Abram's wife, Sarai, was unable to have a child until her natural body was beyond the age of childbearing. And that's when she conceived Isaac, who was the son of promise. Rachel was also unable to have a child, and she um, had a child at a, a later age. And if you go to Genesis chapter, I believe it's uh, 29, 30, 31, it talks in there about uh, Rachel complaining to Jacob that she didn't have a child, and, God, and Jacob saying, am I in the place of God? Am I able to be the one who um, opens the womb or closes the womb. This is, this, is, this is something that God has done, so we must accept it. And eventually, God did open her womb and allowed her to have a child named Joseph, and uh, that child ended up being the one who would deliver his family from the famine and uh, ultimately resulted in them being brought to the land of Egypt. We also have, famously in the scriptures, Hannah, 
Hannah was a woman who was unable to have a child, and she prayed diligently, and God gave her a son whom she named Samuel, and Samuel became one of the greatest judges in the nation of Israel's history. Okay, so we can see that God makes the womb barren for his purposes, but God also makes the womb fruitful for his purposes. Psalm 127 says this, Children are an inheritance from Yahweh, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Well, how is it a reward? It's a reward because you have chosen to honor the Lord by attempting to have children, by attempting to procreate. Um, That psalm goes on to say this in verse 4 and 5, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed, and, and think about that, if you're a warrior and you're an archer, your arrows are your most valuable part of warfare because it is the weapon that you use to defeat the enemy. It, and interestingly, children are compared to the weapon that is used to defeat the enemy. Why might that be? Because you pass a worldview from yourself to your children, and worldviews are powerful. Worldviews are powerful. If, if you have uh, children and you teach them the principles and the truths of God's Word, and they understand a biblical worldview, that is a powerful force to combat Satan and his anti-biblical worldview that is promoted in the world. Okay, now verse 5 says this, How blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with enemies in the gates. And I, I love this Um, verse 5, because it says, how blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. This isn't in principle for unregulated procreation, but one of regulation. You ask yourself, how many quivers, or how many arrows can your quiver hold? How many arrows can your quiver hold? Well, I don't know. You have to decide that. Just from a purely secular example, I'm a bow hunter. I've always liked quivers that have four arrows. And I, I ended up having four children. That just was a coincidence. But I've, I've never liked having the quivers that are like six arrows, seven arrows. I, I find for the type of hunting that I do, that's far too many arrows, far too much stuff on my bow. I don't like that. Okay. You need to decide how many quiver, how many arrows fit into your quiver. This is a principle of regulation. And you know what? Your quiver is different than somebody else's quiver is different than the, somebody else's quiver. But one thing that is commonly true is that when your quiver is full, you are blessed because the fruit of the womb is a reward. It is a blessing. It is an inheritance that Yahweh has given you. And so if you are going to plan to have a certain number of children that you think you can reasonably steward and you can reasonably afford and you understand that they're a gift from God, because, look, there are couples who want to have children who are unable to because God has prevented them for one reason or another, or they are infertile, or some, some such thing. But if, if you look at all of that we've discussed in this episode so far, the principles of attempting to procreate and practicing good stewardship, and then you look at the limitations— you're going to come to this conclusion. I need to do some kind of family planning in order to honor the Lord. What is family planning? Well, it's exercising some kind of some kind of birth control. Okay, and this is also a topic for another episode, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention it because 
when you're listening to all these things, it means that there are going to be times that you have sexual intimacy that is not for procreation. And that's absolutely appropriate. One of the reasons for sexual intimacy is procreation. But one of the reasons for sexual intimacy in the scriptures is mutual satisfaction and enjoyment and to be close to one another and to be bonded spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And so if you just tie sexual intimacy to procreation um, and you think that's what it's all about, you'll come away with a, a misunderstanding of how many kids I should have. You won't think that it's right to practice any form of family planning when, in fact, I think the Bible gives a lot of latitude for practicing family planning based on all these principles that I've listed out for you here. Now, what do we say in conclusion to all these things? I'm reminded of what Paul writes regarding um, Christian liberty in Romans chapter 14, okay? And, and, and I might do a podcast on Christian liberty, but just very briefly, Christian liberty is how do you make decisions regarding issues that the Bible neither prohibits or promotes, okay? So, so there are things that, the, that we encounter in life that we can't find an explicit command to do or not to do. Those types of things would be liberties. Here's what Paul writes at the end of Romans 14. He says, The faith that you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Every Christian couple must think through this issue of family planning. How many children should I have? And they should think through it in light of these truths, also with an eye of prayer and supplication to the Lord and saying, Lord, what conviction do you give us? What should we do that honors you? And the faith that you have, which is like, how many children should I, should I try to have? That faith, have as your own conviction before God. Don't place that burden on somebody else. And don't let anybody else place their burden or expectation upon you. You should be happy if you don't condemn yourself and what you approve. That means that you will be blessed, that you will have a joyful life. As If you're not doing things or taking a course of action that you do not believe you have a clear conscience to take. So young families out there, young couples, I would challenge you to think through these biblical principles of family planning. And when it comes to answering the question, how many kids should I have? That's a decision that is totally between a husband and a wife. And I may have a preference, but that worked out for me, but your preference may be different from mine based on all the things that I have. And we need to allow each other freedom to plan our families differently according to our own abilities, giftings, and financial resources. I hope that this was helpful for you, and um, I'm going to try to make a plan to do uh, some podcasts on these topics that I brought up and mentioned but didn't have an opportunity to really explore. And so I, if you have any other topics or things that you want to share, I, I trust that you would just send them to me at mrjed2007 at gmail.com. Send me those suggestions or leave a comment underneath this post, and uh, very much appreciate your listening and your feedback. Uh, God bless you as you keep serving him.